How you guys doing this morning? You good? Good. Glad that you're here. My name is Kevin Valentine. I'm the lead pastor here. Thank you for joining us. Um, if you're newer to our church, then you should know that kind of the way we typically approach our series is kind of like a, a Netflix series where it's kind of like once one week kind of builds on the next week, you kind of watch the whole thing. And today we're kind of setting the foundation for where we're going to go over the next couple of weeks when it comes to talking about family. And uh, just so you know, what I, what, one of my favorite um, teachers that's out there right now and pastors is Andy Stanley. This is kind of an adaptation of, of a series that they did at their place. And it's just it's so good that we're like, man, we need to kind of take some of those thoughts because we need to be working on our families all the time. And I'll start out with this. Um, you don't have to know my whole story and I don't have to know your whole story to know that we all carry around some baggage because of our families, don't we? Like, like if we just, just, just uh, look to the person next to you and say, I have some baggage because of my family. Just go ahead and say that to the person next to you. Let's go ahead and admit that's what we do. We, we just do. Um, for some of us, there's more baggage than others, right? Um, and just so, just so we are all on the same page, because this is all about just, you know, realizing that we're in the same boat. Anyone in here have a perfect family? Anybody? Anybody? Okay. Yeah, I see a couple of teenagers that want something from their parents later. They're like, we do. We do. Um, but here you go. Our families aren't perfect. Now, that's not rocket science. That's not news to you. It's just the reality where we all sit. Our families aren't perfect. And I know you're thinking, but, but you're a pastor. Surely, surely your family is perfect. And it's like, no, ask my kids. Our family's not perfect. We ain't perfect, okay? Because I'm the dad. Uh, but I, so not only um, are our families not perfect, but I can say without a shadow of a doubt that we all have something else in common when it comes to the subject. And that's this. You didn't get to choose your your family of origin. You did not get to choose who your mom and dad are, who your brothers and sisters are, who your aunts and uncles and grandma and grandpas are. Um, and you can pick your friends, but you cannot pick your family. Yet for many of us in middle school and high school, um, if you could have, you would have picked a friend of yours family over your own, wouldn't you? Like, didn't you have that friend or those friends that you saw their family and you're like, man, they are such a cool family. There's no rules at their house, right? And so, of course, you come back and say, they don't have any rules at their house because they're. I want to live there. You know, I'm sure maybe you've said that. Their dad is the fun dad, maybe, or their mom is like the cool mom. Um, you even like the siblings there. Like the siblings are even cool. Um, I had this one buddy of mine named Chris Miller in high school. He's my, my very best friend. And his family was the awesomest. I mean, it's like they, they, his mom and dad were cool. They let us stay up as late as we wanted to. Whenever I would stay the night, they would go to bed at like 9 or 10 and say, turn off the lights when you go to bed. So we'd be up forever. We could eat anything in the house. I had free access to their refrigerator in their pantry. I never had to ask. When we would go over there, his mom would come and like take take orders for food. Like she would say, you guys want some eggs? You want some grits? I grew up in Texas. That's a thing there. You want some grits? Um, you, do you want a sandwich? And she would make us stuff like right on the spot just because we were there. His little sister was even fun to hang out with. And for me, growing up in a single parent home, he had both his mom and dad there. And I'm just, believe it or not, at that point, he had both his mom and dad there. But I think, I think all of us at some point wish that our family would be more like somebody else's. I know I felt that way when I was younger. Well, why is that? Why do we sometimes wish our family was like somebody else's? Well, I think um, part of it is because family's difficult, right? And it's like easy to look at somebody else's family and go, well, theirs is not as difficult as mine is. And uh, it, it, But yet at the same time, family is difficult, but it's also one of the most rewarding parts of life. Well, let me just tell you what makes family so difficult. And it's this, um, the terms father, mother, son, 
daughter, they're never emotionally neutral. Those are just not emotionally neutral words. There's all kind of emotions attached to those words. There is joy attached to those words. There is chaos and fear and love and bitterness and sadness, great memories, guilt, not so great memories, happiness. It's all attached to those words when we start using those terms. And what you find is that many of our expectations of the ideal, of what the ideal family should look like, which is unrealistic, especially with social media stuff that's going on. I mean, you got to realize in the last 10, 12 years, the social media craze, all of a sudden, what do we see? We see pictures of perfect families all the time doing perfect things in perfect settings, and they all have their hair done right. And it's like it's easy to look at them and go, man, that's the ideal. That's what we should be like. I wish my family were like that. So a lot of times our expectations of what the ideal is just is not our reality. There's a huge gap between the ideal that we have and the reality of what we're seeing. And I'll just tell you, it's true for me. Um, it just as, as I give you my, a little bit of my backstory, never had a relationship with my biological father. Um, knew him. I talked to him a couple times a year on a good year. Um, all I had from him that I knew was a check every month or week coming in for child support um, until I was 17 or 18 years old. That's all I knew of him. And then I would get a birthday card maybe um, and maybe a Christmas card and a phone call. And that was it. He didn't want a relationship with my brother and I. Didn't want it. My mom, raising us as a single mom, did a, a great job for a single mom. It's tough to do. It's really tough sledding. Um, but eventually she married a guy who for eight years was just abusive and mean towards my brother and I when we were in our formative years. I, while I have some good memories of, of growing up, I also have some very, very bad memories of growing up that just weren't good. You know, Keith and I were in trouble a ton. He was way more than me, by the way. But we were in trouble a lot. So family to me, as I'm sure you, has all kinds of emotions. And, and hopefully for you, the emotions, good emotions outweigh the bad. But I know for a lot of people that is not true because there's all kinds of emotions attached to our family of origin. Because so many of our stories are far less than ideal. So if we go to the Bible, surely in the Bible there are great examples of the ideal family for us to look at, right? Of people that lived perfect family lives so that we can look at them and go, there's the example, let's live like them. Because God would want us to have great examples. But what you find when you get into the Bible, there are no perfect examples of family in Scripture. Not one. In fact, the first family ever, complete disaster. You get in the first family right after God announces that it's not good for Adam, man, to be alone. He creates Eve. First marriage happens. And then Eve chooses to eat the fruit that God had told her, told them that they can't eat. And she gives it to Adam. Adam does the same. Now they're in trouble. They disobey God. God shows up. They run from him to begin with. And then when he finds them, they blame each other. So even in their marriage, they're now blaming each other. And Eve gets to the point where she even blames God for what they did. And what you find is, as John Eldridge says very profoundly in one of his books, he says, man chose woman over God in the Garden of Eden. And man has been choosing women over God ever since. Isn't that interesting? I think there's a lot of truth to that. 
Well, from there, Adam and Eve's family doesn't get much better. We have the first recorded homicide in history actually occurs where one of their sons actually murders the other one. Cain murders Abel. And I just remember growing up, I remember this first service. I'm like, my mom used to tell me all the time, you guys are fighting like Cain and Abel. And I'm like, mom, the outcome of that story is not good. Like, that's not what we're fighting like. And so from there, so Cain kills Abel, we're off to the races in the Old Testament. Almost every Old Testament story has some outlandish family struggle by modern standards. It's crazy what you find in the Bible. At one point, there's thousands of soldiers killed, thousands of soldiers maimed in the first civil war in the nation of Israel, which is King David fighting against one of his sons. Literally, it's a civil war within the family that kills thousands of, of soldiers. Now, that's just the Old Testament. Let's go to the New Testament. Surely it's better in the New Testament. Well, even Jesus' parents, Jesus, even Jesus' parents at one point, they're leaving Jerusalem to go back home, and they actually leave him behind in Jerusalem for an entire day. They don't even know he's missing. Like, they get a day down the road, and I could just see Jesus' mom going to, 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 to Joseph. Hey, hey, you seen Jesus? No, thought he was with you. You seen him? No, I thought he was with you. Where's Jesus? And they start asking back across the caravan, and they realize they don't have Jesus. So they go back to Jerusalem where they were. It takes them three more days to find Jesus. So here you go. How would you like that on your record? You lost God's son, like completely lost him in a city, and you didn't know where he was. Um, so that's the reality of families. There's not any good families, um, examples in scripture that we can find. Every family has issues and struggles and difficulties. But what you do find in the New Testament are very, very clear instructions. So you don't find good examples, but you find very clear instructions, um, not only from Jesus, but also the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, he wrote most of the New Testament. He gives really clear instructions for families. Now, the astounding thing about these instructions were that they were given to a Greek-Roman culture to which some of these instructions that I'm about to read you sounded insane. They had never been spoken before. They had never been heard of before. And so as Paul is teaching them, I can just imagine people going, you are crazy. Now, to us, honestly, they're going to sound old-fashioned. Like, I'm going to tell you what Paul said, um, and you're going to go, well, yeah, that sounds pretty old-fashioned because it's been around our culture. But to the culture being spoken to, it sounded futuristic, unrealistic um, to that first century audience. Um, but to us, there's a reason why we think of it as common sense. As I read these, you're going to go, that's common sense. It's because of how our nation was founded. And while we might not espouse them out loud in the way we live our lives in this country, our country was founded on biblical principles, which has worked They've worked their way into our culture to where what I'm going to share with you is, is kind of old-fashioned. But to them, and you've got to, we've got to listen to the Bible sometimes through the lens of a first-century person, to them, cutting edge wasn't talked about, specifically Paul giving dignity to women and children, which is something Jesus clearly modeled. When you get into Jesus and what Jesus had to say, he said, he, he said to the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, he said, you know what, you religious leaders, you're not going to enter God's kingdom. But women and children, you are. And I'm like, that was like, you're talking about, no, 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 you did not just say that, Jesus, because women and children were here, men were here. Jesus, uh, the disciples, you even find the disciples, it was so warped, the disciples at one point, children are trying to get to Jesus, and they're telling people, get your kids out of here, don't bother Jesus with your children. Like the disciples, Jesus' followers, get them out of here. And then Jesus says what? He says, hey, hey, let them come to me. 
And I could just see people in the first century going, what? Seriously? You're going to let children be in your presence? Because that's the culture of the day. So the Apostle Paul comes along. And he continues what Jesus started, and he actually begins to elevate women and children to having equal status as being just as important to God, just as loved, and just as meaningful as men. Radical in this culture. But Paul, so, so Paul taught, he said, look, when Jesus died on the cross, he died for the sins of all people. It wasn't just men or first men and then women and children. He died for the sins of all people making all of us equal heirs to the kingdom of God. In Paul's mindset and the way he wrote, women and children were equal citizens of heaven on par with their husbands. This was so new. This was so different. This was so out of the box. Women, as they were hearing this, they couldn't imagine having equal status with men in anything. They couldn't imagine children not being thrown away because they were inconveniences, because that's the way the culture was. Where baby, they couldn't imagine where baby girls shared the same dignity as baby boys. They couldn't imagine a world like that. Yet here we find in this context the words of the New Testament that begins to point to this ideal of how families are supposed to work that makes most of us feel like we're falling short. I mean, if you think if you think that social media makes you feel like you're falling short as a family from what you see, the, 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 the ideal that's in social media and then the real that you see in your home, if you think that's a big gap, just wait till we start getting into um, God's instructions, Paul's instructions for families, where he's starting to set an even higher standard for families, which is increasing this gap between ideal and real. So let's look at some of Paul's instructions for families. Um, the first one is from Ephesians, and Paul writes a number one selling um, verse in scripture. There's actually two of them. Number one bestseller um, for all parents. This is your number one bestselling verse. Buy it, keep it. You're going to love this verse and you're going to cheer afterward and you're going to give me an amen. I'm going to ask for one, but here you go. This is a verse for parents. Number one bestseller, Ephesians 6, 1 and 2. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Can I get an amen? amen. That's right. All the parents said amen. amen. Verse 2, and that goes on. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. Mm, preach it, brother, right? Like that's, I know you're thinking that. Now, let's just pause there as a parent in the simplicity to talk to all of you kids. If you would just, just do what God says in this area. Do you realize how good your family would be? Do you realize how much better the world would be if you would just live this verse out? All right, I'm kind of kidding. But especially those of us parents of teenagers, this is our verse, man. Put it on the walls of their, their rooms, on the walls of their room, put it in there. Um, speaking of teenagers, um, we do got do to give a shout out. We have almost, uh, I think, 27, uh, a group of 27 going off to camp tomorrow, all middle schoolers and high schoolers. Let's give them a hand. They're going off. We're excited for you guys to go to camp tomorrow. Um, can't wait to hear of the life change and how well you guys obey your parents when you get back. This will be great. Um, but, but let's just be honest, if, if you were ever wondering if you were a sinner falling short of a standard, I think we can all acknowledge that we've fallen short of this as children, right? We've all fallen short of obeying our parents and honoring our father and mother at some point in our life. And I'll tell you, the meaning of the word honor here, where it raises the bar, um, it's not just obedience, it's about, uh, it doesn't mean to just obey and do what's being asked, it's actually about your heart. 
It's like when he says, honor your father and mother, he's not saying, check off the list and do everything they say. He's talking about the posture of your heart towards them. Like, it's a different deal. Like, this is a different standard. This isn't about just do the checklist. This is about how you feel towards them, treat them, how you, 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 uh, you think about them in your heart towards them. Why? Because God really cares more about the condition of your heart than you, your ability to, to do what he says and, and, and do the, check the boxes of, of, of all the things that he's telling you to do. He cares more about the condition of your heart. So I'll just say, we all struggle with this very, this very first instruction that Paul has for families. We all struggle with this even into adulthood, this idea of honoring our father and mother. Um, it's hard to feel like we're doing it really well uh, a lot of the time. Uh, well, here's another one for you women out there. Colossians 3, 18. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting for those who belong to the Lord. And I know some of you in here, some of you ladies are going, <laughs> you don't know my husband. <laughs> that, that, I don't, you don't understand what you're saying there. And I'll just say, hey, don't worry, there's more. Because I could see in that moment when, when Paul says, hey, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting for those who belong to the Lord. I can see all the husbands going, yes, you should, honey. A little, little nudge, a little wink, wink, and go listen to that man. He's very wise. And then the very next breath, Paul like flips it on him in verse 19, and he goes, husbands, and I can see the wife wives going, whew, okay, I can see that going. He says, husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. Now, why would he say that? Because men in this culture were harsh. They were harsh with their dogs. They were harsh with their camels. And I think they needed to be because I think camels are stubborn, but they were harsh with their camels. And they were harsh with their wives, probably because in that culture, she wasn't that much more valuable than the animals. And it just, you just need to realize that's part of the culture that Paul is speaking into. Again, Jesus and Paul, they're setting a new standard with a new value system that was like crazy at the time. It was out of whack. It was nobody does this kind of a deal. High standard. Paul goes on. Children. It's another parent verse. Like all you parents lean forward. Uh, children. Always obey your parents, for this pleases the Lord. Now, this one is a twofer, right? This kids, this is a twofer here. Uh, you want to make God happy. You want to make your parents happy. Obey your parents. Everybody's happy, right? In that moment, everybody's happy. Really pays off to do that. But wait, he's not done. He guys got one more. Verse twenty-one. He says, "Fathers, do not aggravate your children, or they will become discouraged." And I will just say this: this one right here, out of all of them, I violate the most. I struggle the most with. I'm just going to tell you, this is, and it's always unintentional, right? But you know that the, the, the things, you, the, you say things to your kid that you may mean something positive or you're trying to discipline them or encourage them or you're trying to contrast their behavior with somebody else's. That always goes really well. Um, but without meaning to, you frustrate them. As a dad, you do that. This is Paul's reason um, for addressing this to fathers. And he addresses it to fathers because as dads, dads, you know this, we have a gift. Dads have a special power in them. It is called the lecture, right? It's like we're incredibly gifted at lecturing. And so let me just, to get us all on the same page, who in here really, 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 really loves to receive a lecture? Okay, who here loves receiving lectures? I see you fighting your kid's arm up there. Yeah, who loves to receive? Nobody loves to receive a lecture. But here, here's the fun question. Now, you got to be totally honest with this, people. All of you need to be told. Who in here loves giving lectures? 
Yeah, yes. Okay, there's some honest people in this service. I love giving lectures because I'm good at it. Like, dads are lecture machines. And I'll just tell you, I speak and talk for a living. I'm a professional lecturer. Why can't my kids see what a gift they have living in their home? Right? Like, what is this roll your eyes in the back of your head? It should be pull up a chair and take some notes. I'm a pro. I know what I'm doing. I'm giving you the lecture of my life here. It's so much wisdom in it, right? Like that's, we are lecture machines. Well, guess what happens when, as dads, we lecture. Um, what happens when you aggravate or frustrate your child as a dad? This is something that we don't think about very often, especially as dads. Um, when you do that, when you lecture, when you tell them things, and when you aggravate and you uh, frustrate them, you are placing a weight on them. And we do that, and we say, but it's true what I'm saying. And what I'm saying is right. But you can place a weight on them and cause them to become discouraged. And I will, I will just tell you this. I will speak. My 17-year-old son, Garrett, has said to me, why do you make me feel like the bad guy? It's so discouraging. Like, he has said those words to me. He has, like, without even knowing it, he's told me what Paul is telling me. And when he says those words, when he said those words, you know, of course, I did exactly the right thing. I stopped the lecture, and I, I gently said, come here, son. And we had an embrace, and it was beautiful in that moment. No, I continued to lecture. I'm just going to be honest with you. I was like, I'm not done. I have three more points. Like, no, but. But really, here, here's the thing. Even though what I was saying was true, what I forget and what maybe you forget as a dad is the weight of the words of a father. We forget the weight of the words of a father. It's a different kind of weight than a mother. It's just the way that God created us. It's a different kind of weight than, than, than a mother. There's a different heaviness to the words of a father. Now, what's interesting is 2,000 years ago, Paul knew that. He didn't say women don't aggravate your children. Moms don't, don't, don't frustrate your kids. He was specific. In his very specific way, he was saying, dads, dads, don't aggravate your children because it will discourage them. And that discouragement can sometimes work its way into their DNA. And they'll carry it around for years, sometimes decades, sometimes their whole lives. Fathers, be careful how you speak to your children. And I'll just tell you, me personally, I have so many bad parenting examples. <laughs> like, that just where I could just, I wish I could take the words back. And it's like I laugh about it because it's painful, right? It's just so painful to think of some of the things that have come out of my mouth to my kids in moments of frustration that is just literally, I know I've discouraged them. I know I've placed a weight on them that they're too, too um, uh, young to carry at times. And in each case, the words that I was saying might have been proved, might, might have been true, but it actually crushed the spirits of my kids. And, and uh, again, this is a high setting, a standard that Paul is setting um, when he's talking to all of us. And we need to hear it because it's like we need to realize that there's a bar that's been set and we know that our families fall short regularly. There's one more that I want to share with you, First um, Peter 3. Um, and it says, husbands in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives 
and treat them with respect. So, so I want to kind of put all those together, make sure we're all on the same page. This is New Testament coaching for today's family, okay? And I'm just going to read them to you. If we will just do this, our families will get better. Let's go ahead and put all four of them up there for me if you can. So husbands, love your wives and be considerate. Wives, submit to your husbands. Children, obey your parents. Fathers, don't aggravate your children. Everybody got it? You good? Good? Okay, thumbs up. All right, let's pray. I'm done. That's it. That's your lecture for today. I'm just kidding. No, like th th that's it. It, it. it sounds a bit idealistic and old-fashioned, doesn't it? Sounds a bit kind of like, well, that's kind of simple. I've, I've heard that stuff before. But here's what it brings us to. It's something that Jesus did all the time, and I love this about Scripture. And it, if you will jump into God's Word and read God's Word more, you will fall in love with the same kind of things. Jesus constantly pointed people in the direction of what seemed to be an unattainable ideal. He constantly pointed people in the direction of what seemed to be an unattainable ideal, and yet he never condemned them when they fell short. It's one of the beauties of Scripture is you get this, this ideal that Jesus points us to, and then you don't get condemnation when you fall short. Why? Because Jesus loved people unconditionally. He, he, every broken, everyone broken in sin, he died for them, but what Jesus brought with him was hard truth and, and, and matchless grace. Jesus constantly brought truth and then grace and truth and then grace. You hear it in John 1.17, the law came through Moses, all the rules of what to do, but grace, because we couldn't meet it, and truth through Jesus Christ. Grace and truth through Jesus Christ. Jesus was never afraid of setting the bar of the ideal, no matter how hard of a truth it was for families to hear, um, but he gives love and grace to what is real, real being what we actually see is how far short we fall of the ideal. And so here's really where we want to get to um, when there's a gap between the ideal and the real. There's a gap in every one of our families between the ideal and the real. The ideal that we want to shoot for, that we see in our mind, that we hope to achieve in the reality of where we live. Um, it, there's a, when there's a gap between the ideal and the real, what you insert into that gap makes all the difference. When there's a gap between the ideal and the real, which we all have, what you insert into the gap makes all the difference. In your next conflict or difficult moment, you have a choice of what you put in the gap between ideal and real. And that choice makes all the difference because you can insert into that gap. You can insert bitterness into that gap. You can insert unforgiveness into that gap. You can insert indifference into that gap. You can insert disappointment into that gap or... You can take that gap and you can insert forgiveness into that gap. You can, you can insert understanding into the gap. You can, can, you can insert compassion, love, grace into that gap. Now, easier said than done for many family dynamics, right? Way easier said than done. So what does it look like? How do we even begin? Um, well, I want to give you something to put in the gap between your ideal and your real in your family. Um, but before I give that to you, um, we're going to receive our offering. So ushers, if you guys can go ahead and come on down. Um, I want to I wanna just say this to those of you that are here for the first time, first couple times, I just want you to let the basket go by. This is the only part of our service that is not for you. Um, I want you to feel no pressure in this moment. We're just thankful that you're here. We're thankful to share a little bit of time and, and God's truth with you. Um, for those of you that give um, on a regular basis, this is where, uh, those of you call Kensington home, this is where we give back to God from what he's blessed us with. And part of the faith journey of every Christian is trusting God with our finances. It's going, okay, God, you've given me so much, which could be a little or a lot. You've given me so much, I'm going to give back a portion like you ask, and I'm going to trust you to bless me and to take what I give and use it to, to build your kingdom. 
And that's God's end of the, of the promise. And so for those of you that give, thank you so much for being willing to, to, to be on mission with us in that way. We're coming up on our budget year end in a few weeks and, and, uh, and every bit just helps us get to the finish line of this budget year. So thank you for those of you who are on mission with us. Um, but let's get to what to put in the gap between the real and ideal in your family. It's one specific word. And I think if you will just begin to think of it this way, it will take you a few steps in the right direction. It might even take you strides in the right direction in your family. Um, but every time there's a gap with a certain person or persons in your family, every time the culture of your family is overwhelming, every time the dysfunction is too much to handle and you're tempted to insert something bad in the gap between the ideal and the real, um, I want you to instead choose to insert this word. It is the word honor. It's the word honor. It's communicating value to one another. From Gary Smalley, he wrote a book named The Blessing. Uh, this first idea is contained in the Hebrew word for bless, which is a similar word for honor. It's the idea of bending a knee towards somebody. It's bowing before someone, and it's really a graphic picture of valuing another person. Now, most of us in America, we have not really ever seen someone actually bow before another person, but in biblical times and in a lot of cultures today, you bowed before someone of really great value, um, king, a queen, uh, a prophet, um, someone that was considered important of high worth. And when you honor someone, you're really saying, I choose to treat you as someone incredibly valuable in my life. That's what honor means. And along with this first picture comes a second biblical word picture. It's, the word for, it's also the word for blessed, a similar word for honor. It carries the idea of adding weight or value to someone else. It's literally, literally a picture of adding coins to a scale. You're basically saying you are of such great value to me that I'm going to add to your life. I'm going to give to your life. Honor means to bend your knee towards them, place a high value weight upon another person. And I will tell you this, it is a choice. It is not a feeling. It is a choice. You don't necessarily have to feel in love with someone to honor them. Because you can honor their position. We do this all the time. We have honorable judges and we honor the office of the president. Well, you can honor a person as a member of your family, as a mom or a dad or a sister or a brother or a son or a daughter. You can honor them. And when you bow to somebody, there's a sense of awe of just saying, I'm in the presence of somebody extremely valuable in this moment. And so when there's that gap between the ideal and the real, you can choose to put honor in there. You can choose to realize that you are in the presence of somebody that is incredibly valuable. You can have a sense of reverence because of who they are. We do this with pro athletes and actors and famous people all the time. It means do that with those that are in your home. The next time you're faced with one of those situations where you have to insert something between the ideal and the real, insert honor, value. Treat them as somebody that's incredibly valuable in your life. And not only can you incorporate this into your family, I want to give this picture of you of incorporating honor into your home. Kind of like, could you have a home that's filled with honor? 
Could you have a home where when you walk in the door, there's an honor that comes along with your home in the way that you treat everybody in it as important, valuable members of this incredible thing called your family? And so I want to give you just some thoughts of, of how do you bring honor into your home? How do we bring honor into our homes? Well, the first way to do it, the only way I know how to start is you honor God first and foremost, where your number one priority needs to be to bend your knee to Jesus. Bend your knee to Jesus first in your home. Value him as your savior who placed such a high value on you that he was willing to die for your sins. That you put that much value on everybody else in your home. Because Jesus died for their sins as much as he died for yours. So you honor God first and foremost in your home. Second, you honor each other. You treat each other in such a way that each person feels valued and respected and they feel blessed by you. And this isn't just for moms and dads. This is for you, you kids out there is to also um, honor your mom and dad. Treat them as if they are important and valuable where we're not talking down to each other. We're not belittling each other with our tone, with the words that we say. And I will just tell you, this happens regularly in my home, okay? I'm not saying you people should do this. I'm saying I'm really grateful that there's not a 24-7 camera in our home. I'm really, really grateful for that because the place would be empty, okay? Um, I'm just kidding. Well, maybe it would. I don't know. Um, but it's attaching a high value to each person in the family. It's honoring each family member over the other. It's it, it serving one another. It's, it's, it's speaking kindly. It's listening to them when they talk. It's not trying to get your point across so much that you just belittle someone else or you act like their ideas aren't, aren't, aren't good enough. And I'm just telling you, I think if you and I would just do these first two, um, I think that our families would immediately become closer to the ideal, wouldn't you think? If you just walked in, you just honored the other people in your family, it would immediately change the dynamic if all of us did that together. Um, and then there's one third one um, that I want to throw in there, and that is honor our neighbor. Um, and that is this. Sometimes we have difficult family members, and we don't treat them with honor. We treat them with disdain, and we treat the people that are associated with them the same way. Um, and I, this one is just honoring each other. It's, it's honoring each family member and those associated with them. Um, treat them like Jesus treats us. He just honors us. He treats us as valuable. He says, you were so worth it. I died on the cross for you, and I would do it again if I had to. It's having that mentality in our homes. Um, and so let me just say a couple things um, about this, because there's something about the ideal that God gives us. Uh, it's unattainable. Like, can you, do you think you can do that in every situation in your home? Like, anybody want to raise their hand and say, I got this. I don't have this. And, and I, 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 I don't honor my family weekly. There's, 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 there's going to be a time this next week where I'm going to struggle to honor my family or I'm going to dishonor someone in my family because I'm going to get it frustrated. I'm going to raise my voice. I'm not going to see something the right way or I'm going to jump to conclusions. All the stuff that parents do regularly that we do with each other. Uh, well, here's the kicker with the standard that Paul is setting and Jesus sets. It's like you can't do it. You can try all you want to, to honor everybody in your home and you might have a good week. You might have a good two weeks by just willpower. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to power up and I'm going to bring honor to my home and I'm going to make everybody else do it, right? Like you'll do it for a week or two and then in your own strength, you're going to fail. Why? Because the ideals that God points us to are unattainable always in our human strength. Because we need his help we're ever going to reach the ideal, if we're ever going to reach the standards that he sets, he, we need his help. You can't do it in your own strength because I'll just tell you this, and you'll agree with me, it is really hard to honor somebody that's not honoring you, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. It's hard to honor a 12-year-old 
that's not honoring me, I'll just tell you, it just is. It's almost impossible in our own strength. But here's the beautiful part of knowing Jesus. He says he will give you supernatural strength to do what is humanly impossible, but is possible with him. And so here's what I want to say, because there's some of you that are wanting this ideal in your life, maybe in your family, maybe in your relationships. And I will just say this, there is a way to get it. And the first step to getting that is starting a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because you might be here and you are not a follower of Jesus yet, and you have been coming here and you've been hearing about it, but you've not stepped across the line of faith. And you've heard me talk, you've heard other people on this stage talk about this ideal that God wants us to live to, and you keep falling short, and you keep wondering why, but you haven't really fully trusted Jesus yet. And so I just want to speak to you, your first step, and then I have a step for us after this, but the first step for some of you, um, someone in this room, is to follow Jesus today. Accept him as your Lord and Savior and step across the line of faith and become a Christian, a Christ follower, someone who is a follower of God, a child of God. And so I want to give you the opportunity to do that right now if that's you and you're ready to, to step across the line of faith. Um, and so would you bow your head and close your eyes with me, everybody in the room? Um, and I just want to... I just want to talk to you if you want to be transformed by Jesus. Um, you know, only he can transform your heart and your family um, through transforming you. Um, and so if you want to be transformed and accept him today, um, I want to ask you to make my words yours. Um, you don't need to say them out loud, but just from your heart, you could say to God, um, God, I, I want to thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending Jesus into the world. I place my faith and my trust in him. I pray that you'll forgive me of my sins and I pray that you will give me the gift of eternal life. Help me face all the challenges I'm up against. God, I surrender my life to you. Help me honor those in my family. Help me honor other people like you do and have done me. And help me to grow in my new relationship with you. In your holy name, amen. Now, if you just prayed that prayer with me, I want to ask you to do two things. One is tell somebody today. Tell a friend that brought you. Tell your parents, you know, who've been praying for you. Tell a friend, tell a co-worker. Um, just tell somebody that's sitting next to you. I don't need tell me. Come tell me. Or, or uh, That's one. Just tell somebody. And secondly, I want to invite you to go stop at the starting point area um, out there in the lobby. And we'd love to give you a Bible that's very understandable to read to just help you start your spiritual journey. And actually, we would love to get you plugged into a couple of classes and groups that we have to help you grow in your faith. Um, and so I would love it if you would take those steps today to just kind of cement that decision and start moving forward. And then I have one more action step for all of us in the room. Um, and that is this. You can actually pray honor into your home. You can pray honor into your home. You can ask God, God, would you bring honor into our home? Would you help me to lead the charge and honor my wife or my husband and honor my kid or honor my mom and my dad? You can pray that into your home. Why? Because God loves to give, his, give great gifts to his kids. He loves to give gifts to his kids, and this is the kind of prayer he would love to answer in your home. And I'll just tell you this, you start praying today, and you pray every day, God, bring honor into our home.
next day, God, bring honor into our home. Start with me. The next day, God, bring honor into our home. Help us all honor one another. God, bring honor into our home. Help us to be a place where honor just flows out of the windows because there's just so much honoring going on. I will guarantee you God will answer that prayer, and he will do things in your family that you thought were literally impossible, but with him become possible.